Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Uh, this neighborhood is gorgeous in the fall, is it not? Those trees. you got to get your family pictures, Christmas pictures. My family hasn't taken a Christmas picture in over 10 years, so praise the Lord. Uh, we're not very photogenic folk. Uh, we like talking, not taking photos. Um, my oldest son, if you catch him in a picture with a smile, I'll pay you $100 for that picture. Um, anyway, sorry. So, uh, we're starting a brand new series today, um, really dialing in on what you spend the bulk of your week doing, which is work. And um, I just, we're, we're, I'm so excited. It's going to be, uh, it's going to take us all the way through um, Thanksgiving. But um, anyway, uh, the current uh, situation of, uh, in our culture when it comes to work is um, it's usually we consider work, or a lot of people consider work, a four-letter word. Right up there with the best of them, isn't it? Uh, there's, it's hard, it's difficult. There's, sometimes it seems like uh, we're futile in our efforts. Uh, impact, our work is impacted by greed, envy, a.k.a. humanity. Uh, our work is tainted, and sometimes it's glorious, and other times it seems like what in the world am I doing here? Ever felt that? Ever questioned yourself like that? Like, how did I get up here? This wasn't what I expected it to be, or this was much more difficult than I thought it was, or, man, this is easier. I can't believe they're paying me for this. I mean, it doesn't matter what your response is, but um, others, for others, work truly is an addiction. Uh, so not only is it hard, but because it's hard, or sometimes there's futility in it, a lot of times if we don't have any other anchoring point, work can become our idol, the God which we serve every day uh, to, to build up our reputation, to build up who we are in the eyes of the world when um, we've been made to live for the eyes of God. Alistair McIntyre shared this story Imagine you're standing at a bus stop, and a young man you don't know comes up to you and says, the name for the common wild duck is Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus. Even though you understand the sentence, his actions make no sense. What does it mean? The only way to, <laughs> the only way to make sense of it is to try to put what this guy was doing in a story, like Okay, well maybe, what if, what if someone yesterday of your gender, age, height, and general appearance had approached the young man in the library asking him the Latin word for the common wild duck, and today he's mistaken you for that person? That could be a response, that could be, that could be, an ex- that could be a reason why this guy is telling you the Latin name to the wild duck. Or how about... Uh, Perhaps the young man is a foreign spy waiting at a prearranged rendezvous and uttering an ill-chosen code sentence which will identify his contact. You've got to put it in a story for his sentence to make sense. 
all three, perhaps he's mentally ill. <laughs> and the last, maybe he's just mentally ill. But all three could be possibilities. But the point is, without a handle on the story, there's no way to understand the meaning of what happened and no way to know how to answer the man. If you get the story wrong, your response will be wrong. I would submit that your work will make no sense to you unless you put it in the right story. Putting your work in the right story and that's what this whole series is about, the thing that you actually put your hands to during the, during the work week, whether it be in a corporate office, whether it be in the workshop, and whether it be at home with the kids. It's whatever you're putting your hand to, and that's what we're going to really zero in on. Over the past two to three hundred years, Christians have lost the plot with regards to their work. Work in different forms is mentioned in the Bible over 800 times. That's more than all the terms of worship, music, praise, and singing combined in the Word. John Stott, theologian and pastor, defined work as the expenditure of energy, manual, mental, or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. Another author and theologian, Tim Keller, defines work as the rearranging of the raw material of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. Man, I like that. When you think about your work, is there a, a lot of times I think that we've grown up, we've been raised with a mindset of what work is. Uh, work is a necessary evil. Work is something we all have to do. Work is, um, I don't know, whatever your, whatever, whatever your line is. Uh, or maybe this idea, truly godly work is that in the full-time ministry or uh, missionary. That, that's really God's work. That's full-time work, and then I'm just doing my job. Or maybe God has this work to teach us humility, Honesty, perseverance. Or maybe we think leisure good, work bad. <laughs> Depends on uh, how, how much you, you've actually think about the, thought about this, but it, it, in the sense that we've been raised with this mindset of what work is, and I would submit to you that we as followers of Jesus, if you have not allowed the Word of God to form a worldview around your work, then you are living much under where God desires you to be. All these ideas, all these lines that we have fall short of God's view of work, calling, vocation. And I, in doing a little back study as to like why we think about work the way we do, uh, it is interesting of why do we find ourselves in the American church in the 21st century where we're at with regards to work. And, uh, and I believe, I would submit that about two to three hundred years ago, largely around the Second Great Awakening, um, that we, as Christians, reduced the story of God from four parts to two. And we lost the whole story. We lost our tether to the storyline 
meta-narrative of God. So, um, two-part in that we reduced it, instead of creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration, which I would say is the four-part gospel, we've reduced it down to just the fall and redemption. You're a sinner, need to be saved. God loves you, and you need to be made right with him. By reducing it just to two, by it just being about the fall and about redemption, what we reduced, we become the centerpiece to that story. It's about us. It's about our personal salvation. It's about our independent relationship with God, and it's about me going to heaven. But if we were to actually see this restoration of a four-part gospel of creation, that God made you with intentionality, you were made in his image, which we'll get into in a second, and then the fall, and work, well, God, I'm just getting ahead of me. I'm getting ahead of me. Uh, but I just, want, I just want to camp out in these four parts because I think I didn't do a very good job explaining it there. But uh, give me a second chance, four-part gospel. Creation, creation. Genesis 1, 27 says this, God created man in his own image, and in, in the image of God he created a male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, the, the, one of the reasons why I want to go way back, again, I want, we want to put our work in its proper context. And the reason why I believe Christians are now on the outside of influential, uh, influencing culture is because we've embraced this two-part gospel instead of what we see in the Reformers with Martin Luther and John Calvin. They embrace this full, robust, four-part gospel that explains why we work and explains what we do with our life from the time we meet Jesus to the time we meet Jesus. Mm. So you've got Creation. God's purpose was for Adam and Eve's dominion over the garden to expand their dominion over the entire earth. It wasn't going to happen by magic, but by a concerted effort of turning the entire earth into a showcase for the glory of God. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work was given to us before the fall. A lot of times we think work is a result of the fall. Toil and sweat and blood and tears, that is the result of the fall. But no, God gave us work as a wonderful thing to be creative with Him and bringing, bringing order out of chaos. Then we have the fall. So work was God's design from the beginning and the ultimate goal was for every aspect of life and culture to be saturated with the beauty and glory and love of God. But when sin entered the picture, work was cursed. You can read Genesis 3 on your own, but it is toiling and hustling and grinding as a result of the fall. But God sent Jesus to redeem what was lost at the fall. All of it. When you think about the implications of what was lost at the fall, Jesus, if you, if you see the implications of what he did on the cross, him resurrecting from the dead, he fulfilled and restored everything that was lost in the garden. To restore his creation back to fully being fully human, you being fully human, 
and to restore mankind's authority to rule and reign and to have dominion over his creation and continue what God, is, what God has already started, the breaking in of his future kingdom into the present. That's the call of every Christian. Every follower of Jesus is to see that that future kingdom that they now have citizenship into, it is their job to pull it back into the present to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Romans 8, 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation waits, it longs for God's creation, the image-bearing people of God to begin imaging Him and bringing restoration to not only humanity, but creation itself. Jesus just didn't bring redemption, He brought this aspect of restoration, this restoration project through which faith-filled and perseverant labor of His people God will have his way. So there's a little history. So in the Greek and Roman thought was largely, with regards to work, was largely framed by Aristotle. Now Aristotle um, believed that um, work was something not suitable for mankind. That that work actually was for people less than, that, that really the contemplative life, the contemplative life, tomato, tomato, the contemplative life is actually what is most honored, that is the most holy, that is the most sacred, and menial tasks or working with your hands or doing anything, that was seen as less than. That's, that's what slaves do. That's what indentured servants do. That's not what Romans do. And so was this, there was this idea pervasive, but the early church, they weren't connected to that storyline at all. They were connected to this holistic view that we find in the Old Testament of how God des- desires to work in and through his people to seed the earth with his message and his glory. So the early church got this. So while the, while the Romans are are trying to climb this ladder towards the contemplative life. It was the Christians that were taking in the children of the, of the destitute babies that were left out in the streets. They were taking them in and making, raising them as their own. The court system that was backed up, they saw, man, there's, there's um, delayed justice in the Roman world, so we're going to uh, assign judges and we're going to have our own little jurisdictions and, the, and, and Christians with good character and good judgment and discernment, they will be the judges and they will execute justice and they will keep... Uh, the justice of Rome, the, 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 the ones in charge of this place, we're here to see that flourish. It's a whole different way of seeing things. But then there was a, in the early church, within three, four hundred years, there was a man named Augustine, St. Augustine. And, and um, he was a Christian, tremendous intellectual um, and, but one of the things that he accidentally did with regards to work is he adopted Aristotle's view of work. Not, he didn't, his worldview wasn't necessarily um, uh, shaped or formed necessarily by, the, by, by so much as the word as it was Aristotle. 
And so Augustine elevated this contemplative life as being the holy life, as being the life that really pleases God and that if you have to work, then, then, then just go work. Just, just go work and then maybe then, then you can do the, the ministry stuff. Then if, if we just work, then... And there began this growing divide of clergy and everyone else. And it developed into this view that, of course, the inevitable result is these are the pros, and we watch the pros. So we get encouraged by the professionals, and we're just going to go do our job. And this sacred-secular divide began to increase within the Roman Catholic Church, and the, 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 final, the final nail on the coffin to this divide uh, was that in the, it was only in the 11th century that the Roman Church uh, had priests become celibate. It was only in the 11th century. That was, that was a relatively newer thing, but that sealed off this forever dividing line in between uh, clergy and everyone else, and the mindset that revolved uh, that, that uh, emanated out of that was I go do my job, which doesn't really have any meaning, doesn't have any value, so that I can actually do something of value for God. But then during the, and um, there, was a, there was a man named Martin Luther who kind of challenged the Catholic Church through regards to some of their positions, and it was really through Luther and Calvin that we re- see this restored biblical doctrine of work that we've never really seen before in the church. And it was in that season that the church uh, created art, hospitals, a- 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 academies, education. I mean, it was, it was the height of their cultural influence is when we actually got, as followers of Jesus, this doctrine of work accurately. But then the Enlightenment came, where instead of God is the measure of all things, now man is the measure. It, re, re, it, re, it shifted the focus away from God onto man, and man now can be God. Man with humanism and uh, this growing sense. And so um, with the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, our American affluence, a lot of corollaries and contributors to where we find ourselves in. And I, I'm probably sure there's a hundred I had didn't mention. But this, the way we've this um, inheritance from the church that we've gotten about work is not really biblical. It's not really formed and shaped and formed by the scriptures. And so I want us to re-anchor it. And this, this whole kind of intro message is just to, let's draw back. And before we get into the specifics of work, which uh, I don't know if you got an email if you were on a listserv, but there's a little survey uh, we'd love, if there's anything on your mind with regards to this issue, uh, relationships at work, uh, how do I rest, um, any, a lot of other things with regards to work. If, if there's some question or that you want us to kind of break it down a little bit more, fill that survey out and we'll try to include it within our series. Um, but I want to re-anchor in creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. God ordained humanity to be the, to be the primary instrument by which his kingship will be realized on the earth. It's through the works of your hands. One author said it this way, the great king has summoned each of us into his throne room. Take this portion of my kingdom, he says. I am making you my steward over your office. 
your workbench, your kitchen stove. Put your heart into mastering this part of my world. Get it in order. Unearth its treasures. Do all you can with it. Then everyone will see what a glorious king I am. That is why we get up every morning and go to work. We don't labor simply to survive. Insects do that. Our work is an honor, a privileged commission from our great king. God has given each of us a portion of his kingdom to explore and to develop to its fullness. So we have to place our work in this larger story for it to make sense. But this larger story, this larger bucket that I want to kind of imagine us putting our work into is this bucket called calling. And calling, there's, sometimes that seems to be like a Christianese a little bit. Man, you know, what's your calling? Man, are you called? Man, I can't wait for the Lord to call me. Call me up. I don't know when I'm going to get called. I mean, there's, there's so much kind of like so much religious stuff around this, around this concept called calling that, that I just want to frame some stuff up. Just as if we were kind of building a house, I want to frame it up a little bit today just so that we can uh, move on from that. But uh, Os Guinness, this other author, uh, in his book, The Call, identifies calling as the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything that we do, and everything that we have is invested with special devotion and dynamism, lived out as a response to his summons and service. Our calling. And I want us to, to kind of get a little nuance this because calling just seems to be this kind of big thing. Well, am I, how, am I, is, my, is my calling being a follower of Jesus? Is my calling a particular job or occupation? Is my calling, what about my family? Where's my family fit into that? And so, so I just want us to kind of just frame it up here and start with our primary calling. Our primary calling as people made in God's image, as image bearers, our primary calling is to be a disciple of Jesus. That is our primary call. No matter who you are, no matter what job you got, no matter what you're doing, our primary call is to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay. Yeah, man, being a disciple, that means that you're placing all of your life in the palm of his hand to say, God, I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I'm not calling the shots here. You're not even my co-pilot. You are chauffeuring this boy into glory. Like, you're, you're calling the shots, right? I'm just living an obedient life. That's my primary call. So whether if I'm unemployed, hey, you anchored, you're a disciple of Jesus. Your work is not your primary call. It's being a disciple. But now, out of that, out of that primary call, being a disciple of Jesus, there's secondary callings. Again, I just, there's, there's like secondary callings. My primary job is to be a follower of Jesus. My secondary calling takes a lot of different forms. There's a lot of different hats that you may wear in a given week. For some, it could be, I got my family. Uh, there's, there's all these different kind of callings. There's family, uh, whether you're father, mother, sister, brother, aunt, daughter, son. There's, all, there's some kind of role that God has placed you in that family for you to fulfill, 
There's a calling on your life, whether it be as a son or a daughter with your parents in your house or as, as you grow up, single in your home, primary calling, disciple of Jesus. But out of that, I can create my home. I've got my family. I may not have my physical, biological family, but man, I got fam. And they come over and we hang out and we do life. How about church? It's, it's church, part of your calling, secondary calling in serving Christ or glorifying God is that we're called to use our gifts and service within the church. Then there's community. Obviously, loving your neighbor happens out there, out, out in the community of finding different ways of loving your neighbor and, and exemplifying the gospel. But then what the last kind of bucket here is work or vocational calling. Your vocational calling. Author Hugh Welchel says this, A believer's work is not a specific type of occupation. Rather, it is an attitude that sees work not primarily as a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. Work is or is should be, it should be, the full expression of the worker's gifts, the thing which he or she finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he or she offers themselves to God. Under this definition, you may have different careers at jobs at different points in your life, but you have the same vocational calling, which is you being who God made you to be at work. And so as the disciple of Jesus, how do I glorify God at work? Martin Luther says this, what you do in your house is worth as much as if you did it up in heaven for our Lord. For what you do in our calling here on earth in accordance with his word and command, he counts as if it were done in heaven for him. Therefore, we should accustom ourselves to think of our position and work as sacred and well-pleasing to God, not on account of the position and the work, but on account of the word and faith from which the obedience and the work flow. Wow. I pray that God would give you a clear picture of what your work means in the kingdom of God, that it has more value and more glory than you've ever given it. So my, my prayer is that through this series that God would open up our eyes. So over time, we develop our God-given strengths and gifts into competencies and that takes time but we develop that into useful competencies for the glory of God and the servants of others often in various jobs of different kinds but the creator made you to use your creativity your initiative and passion to shape the world around us when you answer God's call to use your gifts at work whether by making clothes practicing law tilling the field mending broken bodies, or nurturing children, you are participating in God's work. When you answer God's call to use your gifts, God can put it in, it gets placed in His hand, and God can take it. And what He can do with it, man, I've already heard uh, a couple powerful testimonies that you're going to hear through this series of what God has actually done with people. So, some concluding verses. Colossians 3, 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all 
in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Whatever you do, doing it for the Lord, whether it's driving to work, whether if it's handling a client, whether it's um, balancing the books, whether it's the, eth- um, the um, integrity and truthfulness and honesty of us in our workplace, of us uh, apologizing when we've failed, when, we've f- when we fell short, when we failed to produce. It is taking responsibility for who we are as followers of Jesus and putting our lives in this grander story to see that God is moving and shaking through you in your workplace to influence and change that place for the glory of God. And so, yeah. I know when I say all that, we're hint, we're, I, I can feel it. We're hitting, we're hitting mental blocks, mental walls of what does that even look like, okay? Don't get there yet. I'm just, we're just framing up the house. You're wanting the, the, the curtains on the windows. Um, but we're going we're gonna to flesh all that out. Um, one of the spectrums is, uh, do I just keep my head down and do a good job, or do I tell everybody about Jesus? How do we navigate being believers in the workforce? And I would submit it's neither. Okay, we'll get there. All right, praise the Lord. How about 1 Corinthians 10.31? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now again, this just sets the stage for as we unfold this series, but my prayer is that God would open up your eyes and our eyes to see He is calling you, who He is calling you to be in your workplace or where you spend the bulk of your week. Amen? Okay. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would take us and no matter where we're at, employed, unemployed, close to you or farther away, Father, I pray that you would envision us for our work, what we spend our lives doing, whether if it's the, our dream job or a, 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 a job that is far from it. Father, you have placed that in front of us, and you've asked us to steward it with you in mind. Lord, and for your glory and for your kingdom. So Lord, I pray that, Lord, throughout these next four or five weeks, you would reveal the gloriousness of where you have placed us. God, I pray and thank you that, Lord, it was, it's, not, it's not the professional preacher that is holy. It is every son and daughter of God doing their work in reverence, and in worship to Him. Father, I thank You, God, that You have um, blessed us with people that get this. But Lord, I, I pray that You would open up more and more eyes to see that there is no divide of sacred and secular. God, it's all to You, and it's all for Your glory. God, open up our eyes during these next few weeks. Our hearts are hungry, God, because we want to be used by You. God, we want to be Uh, God, put into your hands to be used for worthy work, worthy endeavor. So Lord, I pray that you would capture us and set us on the right path. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now. 
and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.